Hi, everyone, and welcome to First State Insights, a podcast presented by the University of Delaware's Institute for Public Administration. We call ourselves IPA for short. My name is Troy Mix. I'm Associate Director at IPA and your host for this episode. I'm back with another Freight Friday edition of First State Insights, brought to you through a partnership of IPA and the Delmarva Freight Working Group, an ongoing transportation planning and economic development partnership coordinated by IPA, the Delaware Department of Transportation, and Delaware's three metropolitan planning organizations, the Dover-Kent County MPO, the Salisbury-Comico MPO, and WILMAPCO. My guest is Eric Johnson. Eric is Senior Editor of Technology at the Journal of Commerce, where he leads coverage and analysis of technology's impact on global logistics and trade. I interviewed Eric on October 26, 2021. This episode captures part one of our discussion, with a focus on efforts by Eric and his peers and colleagues to map the companies, technologies, and business functions at the forefront of innovation in the logistics sector. Let's get to the conversation. Eric, thanks for joining me today. I appreciate it. Oh, thanks so much for having me, Troy. Really excited to be here. So wanted to talk about logistics technology with you. You know, I think I first encountered you maybe finding the log tech map. I don't know how long you've worked on that, if that's a one-time thing, a several-time thing, but can you give us a little background on like how that came to be? Yeah, so uh, that was definitely not a solo initiative. Um, it's actually something that I had been wanting to do for a couple of years, even prior to the pandemic, really. And then finally kind of got enough interest from a few people who were similarly interested in doing something around this map idea that was a little more sort of digestible than some of the other kind of broad supply chain maps that were out there, supply chain technology maps. So we, we pretty much started, I want to say in early spring, late winter, early spring, and got the first version of it out in either late spring or early summer and kind of iterated. I think we're on version four now, and we're going to have version five at some point before 2021 ends. As to how often we want to update it. I'd love to say that we would update it really often, but it, this is sort of a labor of love from a bunch of people who are have fairly busy day jobs, including me. So realistically, I think we're aiming to kind of do a total revamp of it probably in 2023 rather than next year. These maps are sort of a fool's errand in some ways. The minute you set out on a path to do them, you know that the minute that the, it hits the light of day, it's going to be a bit obsolete. Acquisitions happen, companies go out of business, they pivot, new companies come on the scene, companies that you didn't think really fit in the map develop a new product, and all of a sudden they fit in the map. So you, you have to sort of reconcile with yourself that that's going to be the reality. And I definitely have a newfound appreciation for assembling these things. I was pretty quick to critique ones that I didn't find accurate in my view. And now I totally understand why they're so difficult to put together. And so you mentioned there's kind of broader supply chain versions of this uh, maps or other things I imagine. Could you let us know a little bit about like the boundaries of this? How do you define the space? So I mentioned, you know, this was a group of four or five people that worked on it with me and I sort of, the one thing I think I sort of like threw my whatever weight I have around on was 
I wanted this to be a map that sort of was in parallel with the contours of what I cover. So I'm, I'm a editor at the journal of commerce. We're a B2B publication that focuses on basically global logistics and trade. And, and we don't purport to be covering end to end supply chains because that's a massively bigger, you know, sort of discipline than just logistics, which is a, an important, but just a single component of supply chain. So I felt like attempts to create kind of the supply chain tech map were doomed to fail because it's too big. You're sort of trying to capture too many different buying roles. You're addressing a bunch of different disparate organizations within or divisions within an organization. And so the bigger it is, the less meaningful it is. So I wanted something that was you could look at, and yeah, there's a lot of logos on there, but you could actually scan through it and understand it. And so that the boundaries were set around what I consider to be kind of key logistics processes, which are, uh, you know, we really, lo- I look at things through a post-production goods being put into some vehicle or conveyance and delivered into some facility, whether it's a distribution center, a warehouse, transloading, you know, micro fulfillment center, in some cases, direct to the consumer, direct to store. Um, But that's the area that I'm looking at. And that's what I wanted the map to sort of resemble. And in terms of categorizing the companies, clear market segments for these, or was there there a lot of gnashing of teeth kind of to uh, get things in the right quadrant, so to speak? That was and remains a big challenge in a couple of different ways. The categories were sort of developed. I, I guess I, you could say I took a lead on this as well, but with mostly agreement from the others. The categories were very much based on what I, my reporting and what I see sort of as, I don't want to say silos because that's a negative word in technology, but you know, the silos of thinking around what a company needs. So if you're, you know, if you're a trucking, company, a carrier, you do not need a global trade management product, right? You're moving, you need dispatching and tech and you need invoicing tech. And so I wanted that to be distinct and very identifiable again by those buying roles. There's a bunch of categories that uh, could appeal to sort of like global shippers or domestic shippers in different ways. But yeah, they're very much carved out of the, the categories that I see and, and try to report through. I mean, part of my role at JOC is I'm trying to help people understand the landscape. And one way to do that is to divvy things up in, in again, digestible ways for them. Now, that said, where this is difficult is there's a lot of companies that could have found themselves in multiple categories. Most companies probably on the map would argue they belong in multiple categories, if not half of the categories. So we really, instead of having a logo repeated five times through the map and making it totally unreadable, we just had to make our best presumption either you know, through the company that was indicating it or through us, just sort of our knowledge of that company, understanding what their primary offering to the market was or where their, their strengths were. There was definitely a lot of discussion about categories that we missed, you know, things like last mile, things like ELD, things like 
drone, autonomous, you know, all, there's all sorts of categories we could have added to this. My view was every single incremental one we add makes the map less easy to read, makes it less manageable. And the buyer of an ELD device is very different from the buyer of a, you know, a shipper TMS. And so I really wanted to focus it as much as possible on kind of the cargo owner and the and their direct service providers where where the cargo owner would see kind of that direct uh, value. But yeah, I mean, we could have added 10 more categories. We could have tweaked some of these and maybe we will in, in future iterations. And in terms of the demographics of some of these, I mean, to my eye, there's not a lot of like household names to the general public. I mean, I see a few that you would recognize from just kind of being corporate players, period. What's the demographics look like in terms of publicly traded, privately held, new entrants to logistics or kind of incumbents in the industry? We, you're right. There's not a lot of household names. I think SAP, Oracle are probably what you're referring to. Both of them have extensive logistics and trade software offerings. There's more household names that could probably go at some point. Those are probably the only ones I felt belonged in this first iteration of the map. The reality is most logistics software, even brand name incumbents within the industry are not really well known outside of the industry. You know, like a, a, a major TMS that's been around for 20 years or, or is an amalgamation of a bunch of other TMSs. Are, that's just not a household name. You might see it on a golfer's shirt or, or, or cap on the weekend, but that's because they're advertising to enterprise software buyers, right? Like the average person on the street who doesn't care about logistics is not going to recognize most of these names. But so, you know, I think by definition, they're going to be kind of names that you know, not everyone is going to be familiar with. Now, there's a whole category of companies that even people in the industry are maybe not familiar with because they're newer. So we did not delineate between publicly traded, privately owned, and the spectrum on that along those lines. Uh, there's VC-backed companies, there's bootstrapped companies, there's private equity owned, there's, v, uh, there's publicly traded, all types of companies on here. What we tried to have a threshold was, was at the bottom where you needed to either have raised a certain amount of money, have a certain number of customers or revenue, right? And this was self-reported. So unless we knew better, we were trusting the, the entities to report this accurately. Um, and we were frank with a lot of them that even companies that I find really interesting, there were a few that didn't make the cut because we're just too early. You know, they're not, they are still in the process of creating a business with traction and they're not necessarily established yet. And if you did the map five years ago, 10 years ago, are there a lot fewer companies just because For this sure. is a lot hotter sector? If we kept the category, the categories would probably be different. And I may have incorporated just to have a map that was robust enough. I may have incorporated a lot more kind of like supply chain planning tools and, um, you know, inventory management tools and which are things, you know, more supply chain discipline type things, not logistics. So undoubtedly there'd be fewer names. Uh, a lot of the names on that map have been venture capital backed just in the last, you know, five to six years. If you look, you know, there was kind of a vintage around 2012, 2013, another huge crop came up in 2015. 
another huge crop came up in 2017. And now, you know, the last three, four years, there's just been, there's no, there's no yearly vintages. It feels like it's quarterly vintages now. So the number of companies on this map is definitely representative of how much venture capital and, and even some kind of private equity that resembles venture capital a little bit has, has poured into the industry. And, you know, this might be a naive question or a pretty basic question, but why is money pouring into the industry? I mean, how, why did it get discovered? No, it's a great question, actually. So, I mean, I, to some degree, it's, it's a remnant of the post-financial crisis world where uh, a lot of entities, banking entities, uh, private equity entities, and a lot of limited partners or LPs, they're called, and basically people with wealth looking for a place to put their wealth, you know, kind of kept their powder dry for a couple of years as the global economy recovered and started to play around with different types of investments. And one of those was venture capital. And so venture capital is sort of this giant amoeba that looks different in different parts of it. It's definitely not a single-celled organism. So I don't know. Amoeba is not probably the best analogy, but it's this big glob, basically, of money that is on one side, sucking in a bunch of money from wealthy institutions or individuals. And on the other side, trying to figure out innovative ways to deploy that capital to get really high growth in a fairly short period of time. And logistics was one of those industries where there were a few good sort of storytellers at the beginning that were able to convince some of those venture capitalists that a lot of processes and a lot of technology in this industry whether it's domestic or international, we're really out of date and in need of major transformation. So that's the sort of 2012, 2013 crop. And now that had a that had sort of a you know a feedback effect and momentum kind of carried through. And now leading into the pandemic, there was more and more interest and more and more firms were either investing in in logistics or specializing specifically in logistics or supply chain. And then after the first two months of the pandemic, from basically May on of last year of 2020, it's been on hyperdrive. Every type of, in, of category has seen huge growth in, in venture capital being invested in it. And, and supply chain actually has seen that much or more simply because it's become a big, you know, kind of mainstream issue. It's not something that's hiding in the corner and so one more demographic question on the map, I guess, which is, you know, you mentioned silos and one of the ways you break through silos is you get new entrants from outside the industry. Kind of to go to the VC discussion again, too. I mean, stereotypically, you might have people from Silicon Valley who uh, decide they, they know better how the industry functions and kind of new entries from outside, from the software world, et cetera, that aren't steeped in freight and logistics. In terms of the makeup of the map, are there clear divides there? A clear sense of how much, how many of these are homegrown in the sector versus informed from other places? That's actually a fantastic question. And I, I have to be honest and say that I haven't broken down the map or kind of a, you know, a broader database that, that I and some of the other people I work with keep 
along those lines. I mean, I have very, I have sort of like company by company idea that I've come across that I've interacted with on who is that sort of founding team that comes from a engineering or, or, you know, optimization kind of background happened upon the, the logistics industry and said, wow, this is a huge problem that needs to be fixed versus the, you know, logistics veteran who knew there was a problem and then assembled a team to help him solve or her solve that through technology. I, if I had to say overall in the industry, I would say there were a lot of the former early on and there's more of the latter later on. And there's two reasons for that. You have uh, the, the, the types of people who are founders who are looking for problems to solve in industries where they don't necessarily have a background. Um, I think have found that this particular industry, while huge and lot filled with opportunities, doesn't scale and consolidate in the same way that some other industries do. It's a very fragmented space, even within like the domestic logistics market. It's so fragmented. And then you broaden that out to global and it's incredibly fragmented. And that means it's really hard to scale. And you're also, you're competing against companies that are, I like to say they're hustlers, right? In a good way. Like they don't, it's not a static industry like the taxi industry, right? They are, they are also looking to innovate and kind of compete all the, all the time too. So that's one. The second thing is you, you have sort of now a, a second and third generation of, of people who started at early stage companies eight, nine years ago who have left and starting their own businesses. They may have started off not having any industry background, but by the second or second time they're joining or starting a new company, they have that logistics background because they've been doing it for a few years. So I think it's pretty rare for me to come across someone now who is just jumping into the space and has absolutely no background in it at all. Look after part two of my conversation with Eric, where we go beyond the log tech map to discuss how we all interact with logistics technology as goods find their way to our businesses and homes. To track Eric's reporting and analysis, subscribe to the Log Tech Letter at ericjohnson.substack.com or follow him on Twitter at LogTechEric. For a live opportunity to learn more about logistics technology, join for Eric's keynote presentation at the December 2021 Delmarva Winter Freight Meeting. You can find event details on IPA's website at ipa.udel.edu. Thanks for tuning in to this special Freight Friday edition of First Aid Insights. Reach out with comments, subscribe to the podcast, and tune in again soon. Take care. Take care.